all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Good morning to everybody. Going to look forward to all of your questions that you have about your own health care. That's right. You can call in this morning live to one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four with all of your health care questions. That's right. Anything that might be on your mind, you can call us in this morning or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy from MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. This is Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics, and you have reached Southern Remedy on NPB Think Radio. This is the program where you can call in with any kind of healthcare question that you might have about yourself or someone else that's near and dear to you. The number to call this morning is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can always give us a uh, send us an email. You can send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. Well, lots of people getting out of school. I think this is the last week for a lot of schools. i uh, got one or two schools that are uh, sort of uh, falling a little bit behind getting out that other people are. But after this week, most all of our public schools and private schools should be out, which means an influx of all kinds of little critters into our spaces, right? So everybody's got lots of plans. I've been hearing in clinic, uh, you know, families, if they've got travel plans and with that comes a lot of safety issues. So I thought we would uh, touch on a couple of those while we're waiting for our first callers to call in this morning. You know, the first one, if you ask somebody, what do you think about when you think about summer? And most people are going to um, uh, say an activity that is outdoors. And one of the bigger ones, particularly here in the South, is the beach. And that's a fun time that people can uh, get outdoors and enjoy that. If it's not the beach, it's the pool or other areas, maybe outdoors. And with that becomes some uh, some risk that you have to sort of manage. Probably the biggest one is the sun. So in the south, there's a lot of issues around the sun, whether that sun burns or dehydration issues. You certainly want to think about that beforehand. You don't want to deal with it on the back end, um, particularly when it relates to dehydration. 
But sunburns are very common. Uh, the leading cause of skin cancer is exposure to the sun uh, in all skin types. So even if you have darker skin types, if you're African-American or uh, Hispanic or other dark skin types, uh, you, you still are at risk for sun damage over time. Of course, the the number one age group uh, where you get the most damage is less than 18 years of age. So, if you got um, if you got individuals under the age of 18 uh, that are in your care, make sure that they're protected from the sun. Probably the best thing is to use uh, you know so light fitting clothing to cover up from the sun if they have to take that clothing off and have direct exposed skin. Make sure you use sunblock. Uh, a little bit of concern by some people over the latest. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I think, about some of the ingredients in sunblock that are being. Uh, that there was a large study that looked at the levels of those compounds, particularly benzones and some of the other derivatives of some of the most common sunblocks that are absorbed into the skin and into the bloodstream. However, there's plenty of other things you can use. So zinc oxide is safe. There are some organic sunscreens that are safe. But putting a hat on, putting, you know, a loose-fitting clothing where you're not going to overheat, those are certainly things that you can do uh, to uh, avoid some of the damage um, with, um, with burns in the sun. Uh, dehydration is another one, and this is one that can sneak up on a lot of people. You know, it gets hot and humid real quick in the South, and um, you, it, it can sneak up on you, particularly if you're a transplant to Mississippi. Uh, take that seriously. You can lose a lot of fluid very quickly. Uh, so in an hour's time, if you're outside, you may not can notice it either just because of how you feel. So you need to be uh, hydrating. I was just talking with somebody in the studio about the importance of hydrating before an activity, too. And you don't have to get really uh, any of these sports drinks or anything beforehand. The best way to hydrate before an activity is with plain old water. And generally speaking, you want to do that. You want to drink plain water. Uh, If you have to have something, you can get some of these non-sugared additions to it to make it taste a little better for you. But generally, you want to do that until when you urinate, the urine is clear. That's sort of a rough estimate of good hydration status. If your urine is uh, if it's concentrated, it'll be it'll have a little bit more color to it. But you want to do that before the activity because once you start in that activity, you know, get 20 or 30 minutes in and then start to hydrate, you're really behind at that point. Uh, so it always is helpful to do that on the front end. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning. You can call us this morning uh, to with any kind of health care question at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Let's go to our first caller, which is Diane from Philadelphia. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> my question is, I'm on Xarelto, and I have a lot of... Um, I have a lot of digestive problems, uh-huh. and can I take a probiotic? Yeah, that's fine. You know, they're, they're, uh, probiotics, a lot of people have questions about the absorption of some medications that they take. Yeah. And there are some, like particularly the thyroid replacements. So Synthroid and its other derivatives, they can have a little bit different names. So Levothyroxine is the sort of the generic for that. You have to be careful with those and some others. But in general, probiotics do fine. So you're not going to interfere with the uh, absorption of that. Coumadin is another one, or warfarin, so that's a blood thinner that's a little bit different than uh, Xarelto. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you should be fine with that with a probiotic. 
Oh, thank you very much. I just had a hysterectomy, so I'm... So you're all out of whack. I am. <laughs> yeah. It takes a lot of time, particularly if you had any kind of surgery or anything that's going to disrupt anything in the abdomen, even if it's not your bowels. It can take some time to get back uh, on a regular schedule to where they're working okay. So, yeah, that's it's perfectly perfectly fine to take that probiotic. All right. Thank you very much. Sure. Thanks for calling, Diane. All right, let's go to Judy from Memphis. Good morning, Judy. Hello, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm calling about the sunscreen uh, because nowadays we saw it on the television that sunscreen causes cancer. We don't know what to do. If you if you try to run away from the sun, using a, a, a preventive uh, uh, lotion, and then you get a cancer in your body through that medicine. I really don't understand why we have to put the sunscreen on that's deadly to us. Yeah, that was that was what I was alluding to in just a second. Hey, Judy, uh, we're gonna I'm gonna put you uh, on hold, or, or actually we're gonna cut you off because we're getting a little bit of feedback there, and I'm gonna answer that question. So, what Judy's talking about is basically um, there was a study that looked at large number of people, and, and when they were using sunscreen as prescribed, like if you and most people don't do that, they use it less than prescribed. But uh, you know, you have to reapply that sunscreen. So if you were doing exactly like what it said and they drew blood from those people to look at the concentrations of some of the ingredients of the sunscreen in them. So uh, what they found is there were some uh, measurable ingredients in those con- in, in that uh, those individuals that were using sunscreen appropriately. So the question is, is that causing a problem? And some of those ingredients in laboratory studies have been linked to cancer. There's nothing that links it directly to cancers in humans, but in larger amounts, they found that. There's a great way, uh, you know, Judy's like, yes, yeah, catch 22, right? So we're supposed to use it, but then what? why are we using something that could potentially show up in our bloodstream? That's not all sunscreens. So there are sunscreens that are sort of the organic sunscreens. Zinc oxide is one that is perfectly fine. You don't absorb that. It stays on the skin. It can be sort of a thicker layer, so it's not something that people who like that just a minimal amount of sunscreen on. And then some of the sun zinc oxides that have color to them. You know, back in the 80s, everybody was wearing this. We had, like, lines all over us in different colors, and uh, we looked like some kind of aliens out there at the beach. That was fine, and you don't really absorb any of that. Again, if you cover up, um, that's probably the best thing. So a lot of clothing now will have an SPF factor, so that's the the sun protection factor that is attached to it. And usually with clothing, you're going to have anything from a 30 to a 45. 30 is fine with sunscreens. You don't have to go up to the 50 range or above. Those really don't provide any further uh, protection. You do need to reapply. There are some combinations that have uh, bug repellent in those two. Uh, Although the bug repellent may stay on a little bit longer, you still need to reapply, particularly if you're in the water. So, Judy, I would say Pick something that is uh, zinc oxide. If you have to put something on, use that. We don't have all the evidence from these other trials about what those chemicals can actually do. And down the line, as they study this more, we'll probably have some recommendations. But I tell you, for me right now, I'm going to be using some of the organic ones, and uh, but certainly you know, trying to avoid some of those other ones. 
All right, so we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we've got a, a few more uh, callers on the line. Always uh, room for you at this point in the program, so you can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this break. Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning, answering your questions about the health care of yourself or somebody else. Maybe it's just a question that's been burning on your mind or something that just popped in there. We've got uh, plenty of room for you to call this morning. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 We're going to go to Debbie in Past Christian. Did I pronounce that right? I always don't know if I'm if I'm pronouncing that right, Debbie. <laughs> yes, that's right. Okay. All right. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, sure. I just want to find out. I heard you saying that the probiotic and like Synthroid don't go together. No, actually, it's fine. Yeah, they're they're fine. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, so so probiotics generally they've looked at that and absorption levels of and availability levels of thyroid hormone replacement and they don't cause any problem. But oh, okay. but I was I w- what you probably heard me say and if I said that the opposite way I hope we got it cleared up then. But um, yeah, there are some foods and medications that interfere with thyroid medication that it's absorption into the body. So even even things you wouldn't think of, like calcium supplements, so that's not something you want to take. Antacids, uh, over-the-counter antacids, soybean flour. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that can interfere with, you know, with thyroid supplementation, uh, with you know, medication. So that's why if you look, it's one of these weird medications that say take one to two hours before a meal. Right. Um, right. And that's why, because it can interfere with that and a lot of different medications. But probiotics, you're fine. You can take okay. both those things together. It shouldn't make a difference. All right. I guess I've been taking mine for about almost three years now. Yeah, you, you're fine. And, <laughs> you know, your your physician, I'm assuming they're checking that thyroid level at least yearly, yeah. probably every six months or so. Right. And as long as it's okay, then you should be fine. Okay. Well, thank you. Sure. Have a good day, Debbie. Right. You too. Bye-bye. All right. All right, we're going to go to Tom in Brandon. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Uh, I, a, a good morning, Doctor. I, I uh, heard you recently talk about uh, a study that said that those taking glucosamine chondroitin actually had a modest uh, benefit from uh, for heart disease, but I did not hear you say anything about whether it works. 
for arthritis. Now, your predecessor, Dr. Rick, claimed that the study said it didn't. But your predecessor, or not predecessor, your uh, counterpart in veterinarian medicine that's on the animal show, <laughs> Dr. Major, yeah. says that when an older dog has arthritis, he gives them cronbotin, and it seems to help a lot. So yeah. what's the latest study on cronbotin or, or glycosamine for uh Arthritis. Yeah, so so those are off. So there's two different things there that you mentioned: chondroitin sulfate and um, and uh, that's the main one that you see, and glucosamine. So both of those sort of go together in supplements, and they've been using them a long time for osteoarthritis, for normal joint pain. I although and Dr. Rick was right that the bigger studies did not show any benefit. Uh, if you blinded the individuals who were taking that. However, I have found very little uh, side effects with taking that medication other than a wallet biopsy. You know what that is? That's um, when you pay something for, you know, it's, it's sort of expensive in the, as far as over-the-counter things go or, or supplements go. But if you're somebody who has arthritis and have a lot of pain, I've had a lot of patients that swear by it and do fine. So my general... Um, principle with my patients who, if I don't have a lot of evidence, I'll tell them, hey, there's not a whole lot of evidence for this, but if it helps you and it's not going to hurt you, I am perfectly fine with you taking that. And if it helps, that's great. Now, the the study that I mentioned, I think either last week or a couple of weeks ago, was an association. So what they did is they looked at individuals who were taking uh, chondroitin um, uh, sulfate and glucosamine and they found that there was an association of decreased heart disease. Now, that doesn't mean that it's going to don't go taking it just to decrease your risk of heart disease. That's not what the study showed. But it was interesting, at least, that these, you know, that, that they did see that. And there might be some anti-inflammatory, you know, theoretically um, processes going on that help that out. But, yeah, Tom, if it's working for you, take it. But, yeah, that's right. Rick, Dr. Rick was right. It's, it's, um, there's not a whole lot of evidence out there in the studies, but sometimes that's how the studies are designed, uh, and it's very difficult sometimes to design some of those studies. So in this case, it's not going to hurt you. I would say take it. Well, uh, at my age, I was taking it until I heard Dr. Rick's uh, announcement of the study. But then after I heard Dr. Major say that it helps, glucosamine helped the uh, dogs that had arthritis in later life, I said, they don't understand placebo effects. Or <laughs> it must be right. It must, it I mean, must I, they didn't tell the dogs, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you would suggest I start taking it again is what I if that. If you notice that it helped your symptoms, I would say take it. Yeah, well, at my age, you never know what, <laughs> what helps and what doesn't. Now, if you, I mean, you could sort of do a, a study of one here, uh, you know, and I've, I've recommended this to my patients, too. In your case, since you're off of it, um, I would just start taking it again. And, and if you notice an improvement, fine, stay on it. If you don't, then you've got your answer. Okay. Thank you. All right, Tom, thanks for calling. Yeah, arthritis pain is a bad one, and it's hard because you can't ever take it completely away. And for some individuals, it's it's pretty much debilitating on the the pain that they have. Um, you, and you always want to, you know, if you if you talk to people, I think in our society we sometimes have gotten to the point where we expect that all pain can be taken away, and you shouldn't have any pain. And honestly, that's just not the case. 
you you know we want to alleviate pain and suffering in our patients but a, a better goal would be to get you back doing the things that you enjoy and want to do. So mobility that's goal oriented is a big uh, is a is a big deal as far as treating arthritis. And that's some of the conversations I have with my patients is, you know, w- what can't you do right now that you want to do that you want to get back to doing? And how can we help you get to that point? Um, because, you know, the alleviation of all pain is not a reality, particularly as we get older. Some aches and pains we're going to have to sort of to bear with, but, um, you know, a lot of people do have a lot of problems with it. So that's one of the things that you can, you know, at least uh, in- investigate. Hey, if, I, if I'm, you know, as I get older, I get aches and pains, I, I certainly will uh, want to keep as active as possible and do the things that I used to could do. All right, we're going to go to Mary in Mobile. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I just wanted to make this little comment. I've, I've been on the glucosamine chondroitin for about 20 years or more. Yeah. And I started taking it when an aide suggested it. I was having aching joints, and it took it away immediately almost for me, and I've been on it. It's fine. So that's just that comment. Yeah, I, and and you're no different than a lot of other patients. You know, some of them I have recommended uh, to take it, and they say, you know, it didn't it didn't do anything, or they've they've you know asked about taking it. But for a lot of people, they they say, hey, I feel a whole lot better. So that's that's great. Well, now this next question isn't uh, really it might be politically uh, questionable, but. You know, I'm one of those people that has had the uh, Valsartan problem, and I've just gone and picked up a new um, prescription from another batch. Mm -hmm. And um, this was the recall. Is that uh, what you uh, meant? The recall, the Uh recalled ones. Uh And I had been on the the ones that were recalled. And my question is, I mean, uh, what is the AMA doing about? I mean, is there any prospect of us making our own medications over here? You know. Well, we do. Um, there are plenty of, you know, I, a lot of people have, it's funny, I got this question last week from a patient. Um, so there is a perception that all of these problems are from companies overseas, and that's not always the the, the issue. Um, generally, what happens in medication development, a company will spend a lot of research and a lot of money looking at a a new medication. So in this case, blood pressure medication. And sometimes that's based on, most of the time it's based on some uh, anecdotal evidence that a medication that was developed for another reason, or maybe it was uh, extensively studied in the lab in animal studies first. There's a lot that goes into that. So a company will develop that medication, and then it has to be thoroughly tested. So the FDA uh, sort of oversees all of that process, and there's a ton of different steps. I, I used to be involved on some of those early studies, so what we would call a phase three trial. So there's a number of trials that look at, okay, is this medication going to work? Is this medication safe? Uh, and are there any ongoing problems with this medication? Is this medication going to have side effects or interactions? All those things have to be thoroughly vetted um, and explained. So that's why if you if you it'll scare you to death if you take out a prescription medication and look at the drug insert, which is in fine print and very long. It will list all kinds of things there, and people say, "Well, why do we have this medication if it's going to cause all those side effects?" 
Those are the listed side effects, and a lot of times they'll be listed in order of how often they saw them in the drug trials. And it it's uh, if you had one instance of things, sometimes it has to be in that list by law. So that's why you have so many different things on there. Now, the the recalls with the blood pressure medications like Valsartan happen because what they they have ongoing. Uh, quality control trials on a lot of those medications, on all of them, really, they were prescription. And they noticed that there were some impurities in those as they were made by other companies. So this wasn't the original drug company. This is a, a company that picked up the the um, the patent for the, after the patent went out, the, uh, the that are making the generic. And there's a bunch of different countries for that. And sometimes they're in the U.S. and sometimes they're not. So we can't blame it totally on where they were made. Um, but there are other, like you said, you had picked up a different batch by a different company. So that's, you know, that's sort of the, the safer alternative. And again, it's not the Valsartan. It was an impurity in how it was made. Right. Well, see, I, I'm one, I mean, I hate to say this, but if we get in a war with a country making our medications, I mean, what do we do about that? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, because a lot of times there'll be one or two companies making a certain medication. We've had uh, not just about medications like you're taking, but uh, vaccines is another one. So a lot of our vaccine manufacturers, we've had shortages of those from time to time. We've had shortages of certain medications. That's a pretty common uh, occurrence. And sometimes it's not even a war. It may be something as simple as the economics of a company that if they go out of business or if they have to lay pick a lot of people off, they may decrease production on that medication. So bigger issues than my pay grade, Mary. So, uh, but it is something to think about. I honestly, there's so much interest in all these medications. I don't see us having a big problem. Even if you have some instability in one or two countries that are making it, usually very quickly in weeks to months, other companies will sort of see that opportunity Mm -hmm. and pick up the product. But all of these, even if they're made overseas, that's the whole reason why this was caught is that they are continually looked at by the FDA. And that's a lot of oversight. It costs a lot of money to do that. It's not all the cost of medication. Certainly, I, you know, honestly, I think there's a lot of inflation in some medications and a lot of problems with that. But there is a lot of cost with the oversight to try to ensure the safety. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Yes, ma'am, and thank you for calling. You're welcome. Bye-bye. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call today for your question or comment is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. All right, we're going to go to Judge Williams on the road. Good, uh-oh, did we lose? A, call us back, Judge Williams, on the road. We may have gotten to a place where we did not have phone coverage on the road, but we'll be looking for them to call back. In the meantime, let's go to Tim in Loosedale. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I, uh, a few months ago, two months ago, I had rotator cuff surgery on my left arm. Uh-huh. And and now my uh, my heart rate's gone down quite a bit, uh, 45 beats a minute. And they talk about a pacemaker, but they say with a pacemaker, when you first get it uh, put in, you can't raise your arm or something. And I've been working two months to get my arm over my head. 
I just wanted to look up for some information on the pacemaker and, and and what I should do about the situation with the pacemaker and the uh, 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 tore uh, shoulder. Have you already seen Tim? Have you already seen a, a cardiologist for that? Yeah, so they're the experts, and there are criteria that you have to meet to get that pacemaker, and there's different types for different problems. So some people, you know, uh, lower heart rates over time, uh, they can have different risks. Now, there's certainly people that have resting heart rates in the 40s, even up in, you know, when they're 60, 70, 80 years of age, they may have had that a lower heart rate their entire life, and they're going to do just fine. They usually are asymptomatic. But if there are other problems or if you're symptomatic, then those are the patients that would qualify for, uh, for a pacemaker. You're right. Now, it's a device. A lot of people don't know this. It's a device, and the battery is re- and the controller mechanism is really what takes up the most space. That usually fits in a, a surgically created pocket right underneath the skin and the upper chest. And then the leads, which are the wires that go to the heart, uh, they travel uh, underneath the skin and then through uh, through uh, veins to the heart, and they are they are attached exactly where they need to be in the heart. Now it, it can be there's tons of different types of pacemakers. There's dual chambered pacemakers or single chamber single paced, and it really depends on the heart's electrical system. So the first thing is what's wrong with the heart's electrical system, and is it something that's going to be a problem later on. The The problem is if you've got certain electrical problems in the heart, just like if you've got certain electrical problems in your house, uh, that could be a huge issue. You could have a house fire and your whole house could burn down. If your heart's electrical system goes out, uh, there's not a backup. So that's that's bad. Um, so you sort of have to, to weigh those risks. Now, Tim, in your case, you may want to have the follow-up conversation with your cardiologist to say, hey, in your best estimation, based on what you see with my particular rhythm in my heart, what's the risk of waiting until you get that arm back the way you want it? And they're going to give you some hard numbers on that and say in their best you know, estimation, nobody has a crystal ball. You can't tell when a heart's electrical system is going to go out from person to person, but they can at least give you a little bit of, of uh, info on that. Yeah, I just did a stress test with them, and after the test was over, and I sat there, and they had the uh, the monitor hooked up to me. Uh, my heart would would go boom, 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 boom. So I get a double beat there all of a sudden. Yeah, and it only it only showed after it got into the uh, period of rest. Yeah, yeah, and it and it depends on where that extra beat is coming from because there's superventricular uh, extra beats. So those are the ones that originate in the upper chambers of the heart, the atria. And then there's ventricular uh, uh, centers where that electrical current can, can originate. So it's technical. Uh, look, these, uh, an electrophy, you know, we talked, I said cardiologists, but actually electrophysiologists who are cardiologists are these super specialized people who do this. Sometimes they have to go in and map out where those things are. And that's another thing you might want to ask your cardiologist, hey, is there any other procedure or thing that you can do to help me? With most lower heart rate problems, though, the pacemaker is the 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 uh, thing to to correct that and to help prevent some of the um, you know some of the more serious complications down the road. All right, I appreciate it. Sure, talk to them, ask some hard questions, Tim. That's what doctors are for. 
Okay, thank you. All right, thanks for calling. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we got plenty of open board for you to call with your health care questions. Anything that might be ailing you or something that you're just wondering about, you can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 Or you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break. Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning, and I got some great calls already and plenty of time for you to call in with anything. It doesn't have to be what we've been talking about. It can be something totally different, maybe a medication question that you have, or maybe it's the health care uh, uh, concerns that you have about some symptoms. Maybe we can sort of help piece that together for you, steer you in the right direction. You can call us today at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four, or if you're unable to call us right now, you can always send an email. We try to get back with you very quickly, as quickly as we can, on those questions, and we also uh, sort of batch those together from time to time to do a program that's just focused on our emails. The email address is remedy at mpbonline dot org. All right, we're going to go to Greg, who's on the road. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Dr. Stewart. Here's my issue. I have uh, recently developed a lack of sensitivity in taste. My tongue seems to be, it has a burning. Well, not really. It, it, after you've eaten a hot pizza, that feeling. Yeah. And I've lost sensitivity to taste. And uh, I think maybe my tongue swole slightly. I find myself biting the back edge of my tongue occasionally. And it's a little bit sore. Yeah. I have no idea. Greg, let me ask you about a couple of things. Do you smoke or use uh, tobacco products like dip or chewing tobacco? I I do not. Okay, good. I'm 67 years old. Okay. Yeah, so the tongue is it is a marvelous organ. It does a lot of different things. Uh, Certainly taste is one of them. Uh, The initial um, uh, breaking up of food and moving things around in the mouth. Uh, It's a big muscle that has a lot of different uh, tissues on top of it. Now, taste is one of those that is very sensitive. So those cells on the tongue, and there's different, there's sort of a map. If you look at this online, it'll have sort of a map of salty and sweet and bitter. Uh, But there's combinations of that. Uh, Your nose is involved in that, too. So a lot of what we say we taste, we actually smell as it hits the mouth. 
But um, some of the things I, I would be a little concerned about and at least get somebody to look at it. Um, now, a lot of people are like, well, if I have a problem with my tongue, who do I ask? Do I ask my dentist? Do I ask the ear, nose, and throat doctor? Do I ask my general physician? And the answer is you can ask any of those people, um, and they're going to you know, have a lot of uh, feedback for you. So there are some things that can happen with the tongue from time to time. As you get older, everybody loses a little bit at least of that taste. Uh, that's why as you get older, certain foods that you liked when you were younger, you just don't care for anymore because the taste cells themselves are very sensitive to change as they right. age. Same thing with smell. Um, now, Let me ask you one more question. Yeah, go ahead. It's, it's, it's like a slight numbness, and it seems like I even have that sensitive feeling in my fingers to a certain extent. Okay, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I can't explain it. Yeah, and, and I was going to touch on the neurologic changes, too. So the nerves are all hooked up to your tongue, just like they're hooked up to the rest of your body. And sometimes with certain things that happen in the nervous system, you can have your tongue affected just like you can have other things affected. So what you just told me is really making me lean a little bit more towards that. And uh, I would talk to your main doctor. I'd get in touch with a doctor that's going to listen to you and pay attention to those symptoms. And they may even want to do some imaging of your brain. A lot of times uh, things like a mini stroke or a TIA can cause symptoms. I'm not saying that's what you have, but it would certainly make me want to ask some more questions and examine the tongue itself. If the tongue looks okay with those kind of symptoms, I would probably lean more towards neurologic issues and then there are some changes like that. You know, you're, the fancy term would be paresthesias. That's differences in the way that we uh, perceive sensation. So a lot of people will say, just like you did, numbness, or it feels like it's burned right after you eat something hot uh, or drink something hot. So I, I would go to a, your doctor first, particularly since it's in your hand and your fingers, and at telling what's been going on, they may want to get like an MRI of your brain or a CT scan of your brain just to make sure that they can rule that out. But if it's if it's hand and tongue, that's that's pointing me a little bit to to your head. Okay, well that's very helpful. I appreciate your information. I'll keep monitoring it. All right, Greg. <laughs> All right, thank you. Yeah, and the the reason I asked Greg, too, about uh, smoking and tobacco products, that really is a big risk for uh, cancer in the mouth and numbness or uh, a sensation of the tongue getting bigger or harder in different areas. That can be uh, a cancerous lesion in the mouth. And, and again, you can have, you know, good dentists are going to look at that. They're not just going to look at your teeth. They look at the soft tissues in the mouth and around the mouth. Uh, they're going to palpate your neck, all those kinds of different things. Ear, nose, and throat doctors are going to do the same thing. And But really, you can go to your, your uh, regular physician, and they can uh, steer you in the right direction. But when it goes outside of that, it might be something that's uh, a little more uh, overarching. Uh, so i uh, got to pay attention to those things. And the tongue will get your attention, right? Man, I, every time I bite down on it, if I'm trying to talk while I'm eating or if I... Uh, you know, burn my mouth. It'll, it just makes your day miserable. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. Got some great calls, plenty of time for you to call in. You can reach us this morning live at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Started off the hour with a couple of uh, comments about summer safety as we have 
uh, entering into summer, whether you're small or uh, big, whether you're young or old, we all should sort of uh, heed those things. And sometimes us adults who haven't been very active all year long, we get outside and we do stupid stuff like sprain ankles and uh, get burns. And it's not all the time our kids are doing that. Hey, if you are going to the beach, uh, heed those warning signs on the beach. Sometimes you can go there and you traveled hours to get there to the beach, plan this for a long period of time, and you see a sign that says don't get in the water if there's bacteria in the water. Uh, that's that's a serious thing. Certainly, if you have an open wound, you don't want to get in the water. There are things in the ocean that are nasty and can set up an infection very quickly that can cause uh, lots of damage, not just to wherever that infection is, but to the rest of your body. Uh, you know, things like Vibrio is one uh, that, uh, that you can get uh, uh, from exposure to those areas. They do monitor that in most beaches, most public beach areas. And so don't, if it says don't get in the water, don't get in the water. And if you got something that's, uh, that does, that uh, is uh, exposed like a uh, cut or anything like that, or if you have, um, if you have uh, other chronic diseases like diabetes or uh, you're immunocompromised in any way, you want to stay out of the water, uh, particularly if it has a warning sign like that. All right, let's go to Bill in Macomb. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, sir. Thanks for calling. Okay. Uh, my wife has a parathyroid problem, I think. Uh-huh. Those are calcium levels high and all that. And it has kidney stones occasionally. Well, they did surgery once and couldn't find one that was bad. Is there some way they can identify which one is bad? <clears throat> it's tricky. So you have you have uh, you have a number of parathyroid glands, and they sit in the neck. And you probably already know this, Bill, but just for everybody else. But so they're right. You know, you have the thyroid, and it's sort of an H-shaped gland that's right in in the front over the trachea. And then the the parathyroids are either inside that thyroid tissue or right by it. And the problem is they're small. They produce a hormone that you mentioned uh, called parathyroid hormone that its major uh, contributing um, action in the body is is to regulate calcium levels. So we need calcium not just for our bones but for nerve function, for muscle function, uh, when you get uh, too high levels, and it's not necessarily what you eat, but if it's, you know, that parathyroid, if it's off, if it's doing something it's not supposed to, that the levels of calcium in your bloodstream can get so high, it can cause all kinds of problems. You mentioned one of them, which is kidney stones, because the excess gets filtered out in the urine, and it can uh, crystallize in the urine, and uh, that's no fun at all. But to treat it, um, you got to have uh, a, a surgeon, a surgeon to take those out, or take one or more of them out. Now the problem is, just as you said, usually y- you can't really identify that. And what they'll do is they'll look for those four and maybe take half of them out. Um, or if they have noted that one of them is producing more, they'll try to get that. But it's not an exact science, and it really takes a a really good. Uh, surgeon who's experienced in the neck region with doing that, with dissecting that tissue out and finding it and then taking it out. You don't want to take them all out because then you have more problems than you had to begin with because your calcium will get too low. Uh, They want to leave at least one of them in there, uh, but it can be difficult. I've had some patients that had to have a repeat surgery where they went back in and tried to take it out just because they didn't get enough of the tissue 
There's a class of medications, too, that sometimes have been used in the appropriate situations called bisphosphonates. So these are some of the things like Fosamax, uh, that uh, are relinda- uh, the the drenates, I guess is the last uh, the last little part of their name. Um, but the bisphosphonates they help to force calcium out of the bloodstream and into the bones, and they can help lower those levels. Um, so a lot of times they can use that in conjunction. They do have side effects. You know, some people can't tolerate them, but uh, but that may be something to explore if if surgery is not working. Okay, thank you a lot, sir. Sure. Yeah, calcium uh, metabolism is a it's it's a fascinating anything endocrine. Endocrinology is one of those things that's like, man, it's almost like magic the way the body works and it's all these glands tucked in all over the place that help regulate all those hormones that we need to make everything work just right. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we've got a, a little bit of time for your questions. If you want to squeeze one in, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this. Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you on this beautiful morning in sunny Mississippi in the south. It's sort of partly cloudy today. Hope you're enjoying your time at work or outside or wherever you are. A lot of people on the road today that called in. The number to call this morning if you have a question about the health of yourself or somebody else that is close to you, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Back to summer safety issues. So as you uh, have all these kids that are out of school, we mentioned some of the things about outside, whether that's sun safety. Uh, insect safety is another one. You know, in the South, we have a lot of insects that can carry a lot of bad diseases out there. Um, uh, certainly you can get an infection right where they are, but uh, there's a lot of of viral illnesses that are carried by mosquitoes. West Nile is the one that we're unfortunately familiar with here in the South. It's been around uh, since at least 2001, 2002 in the Mississippi and surrounding states areas. Uh, We always have a few cases uh, that pop up during the summertime. Uh, I haven't looked at that data yet right now, but uh, we have usually a half a dozen to a dozen or more cases I actually had West Nile uh, the first summer it came through. Not something that I enjoyed at all. Felt like a terrible case of the flu and really felt bad for about uh, six weeks afterwards. 
but the best way to uh, to avoid getting West Nile is not getting bit by a mosquito, which is a challenge in Mississippi. Uh, around your houses, make sure if you got any standing water, get it out. Um, they can just have even an inch or less of standing water can be a place where mosquitoes can reproduce, and they can do that in a hurry. Uh, certainly we, we're way past freezing temperatures that sort of keep them in check. There's a lot of things you can do, a lot of clothing that you can get now that has, uh, has mosquito repellent in it that is certainly safe. Uh, DEET is safe um, to use. Uh, there are other alternatives that people use, but not, you know, they've had head-to-head comparisons of it. Most of those, whether it's citronella base or whether it's lemon eucalyptus or whatever your favorite is, Sort of like the lemon eucalyptus. It smells like a lemon zinger, uh, but uh, it's uh, not not for everybody. You smell good though while you're trying to keep those boogers away. But just be aware of that. And uh, you know, the, a thing that we use around our house too, particularly on the back porch, are these um, sort of uh, these uh, devices that put off a. They're sort of electrical and they burn a little uh, um, mosquito repellent to the area. So it usually has about a 15 foot or so uh, radius. And then there's there the traps, of course, that can help uh, those mosquitoes that are flying around. But uh, we're going to have them in Mississippi. We're just trying to avoid getting bitten by those. And, uh, you know, it's not just um, not just the viral illnesses, too. There are plenty of other things that can bite you, ticks, fleas, uh, lots of different things that can, uh, can contribute to uh, uh, the uh, taking away your fun this summer uh, as you deal with them. And also think about, you know, if you've got kids, you know, particularly younger kids that are going to be in places where they haven't, they've been in school, now they're at home, go back through the house and do a one-through about all the different dangers you got there. Uh, insecticides in the house, alcohol, household cleansers, firearms, medications. Make sure that that house is safe for all these kids coming back. We Oftentimes it sneaks up on us, and they haven't been there. And you know what? The kids have a way of just exploring or invading spaces. So um, you want to make sure all those things are put up. Just because it's a household cleaner doesn't mean it's safe. Um, uh, Washrooms, laundry rooms, those are all spaces that you need to go through. And then if you've got kids outside, keep in mind, all the things that they can get into with poisonous plants. Um, poison ivy is one. I, I had a patient that asked me the other day, is there anything you can do to prevent poison ivy? Really, just avoidance is the biggest thing <clears throat> because it is near about impossible to um, to uh, to put anything on that's going to be a barrier. I know there's a lot of products out there that, that tout that, but really most of the time it doesn't work. The arushiol, which is the irritant that causes that allergic response it's really uh, tenacious it can be on clothing for weeks at a time or shoes and once you touch those shoelaces that you you know that rubbed over it you can get that animals pets can walk through it too so maybe it's time to get out in the yard and do a little yard work Uh, send that person who's not allergic to poison ivy out there though not yourself that's a, another thing to sort of watch out for. Poisonous animals are out and about, too, so just be aware of that. But have fun. I didn't sound like fun. It, it sounded like everybody's going to stay inside. But certainly get out, get busy, improve your life, and enjoy your family and friends. Hey, thanks for all our callers today. 
this all the time we have for today on Southern Remedy. Southern Remedy is a production for Mississippi, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from you, our listeners. Today's show was engineered by Kevin Farrell. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can join us next Wednesday at 11 for Southern Remedy. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.